0: Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, Excited to have all of you with us today. We're going to continue our uh, book study that we've been going through, the the book of James, uh, which we, as all remember, is a letter that was written to uh, to Christians in the early days of the church. Um, so read it more like a letter and less like a novel. Um, and so we're in chapter four, which if you'll recall, um, you know like again, there were not chapter breaks in in, uh, in his letters. I mean, it maybe might have been page four. we don't know that, but but still the idea is, is that means that whatever came before it in chapter three, has to do with what's in chapter 4, and whatever's in chapter 4 informs chapter 5, and thus, you know, kind of going on. So today we're going to be reading James chapter 4, verses 1, and we're going to try to get through 12, which is kind of a section for us. Um, but I want to read verse 1 through 12, and then we will uh, kind of just see where we go here. Um, and then I, I actually did something last week that I really liked, where I read the the Bible verse, uh, passage, and then, and then we... Uh, And then we prayed, and I think it's good to kind of just like hear God's word, and then we'll pray after it's been read, and then we'll just ask him to open our hearts for that. So let's go ahead and read today, Proud. James chapter 4, verse 1, I'm reading from the CSB version. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and you don't receive because you may ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think that it's without reason that the scripture says that the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, so whenever you see a therefore, it's always like, because of everything that I just said, therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another, brothers and sisters. Anyone who defames or judges a fellow believer defames and judges the law. And if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word, the hard-hitting, challenging word that uh, comes to us sometimes. This passage is one that I think if we, uh, you know, take seriously, each of us, that we will see that every one of us has aspects of this in ourselves that you want to deal with today. So I ask that you would uh, open our hearts to to, be, uh, to hear what you would say. I pray that your Holy Spirit would reveal um, revelations of what your Word means to us, and uh, I pray that we have the courage to act upon it and to become the people that you are calling us to be. We thank you for it and uh, have your will be done in this place in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. So the um, like Bibles oftentimes have like a header above the cat- like the section. Um, and mine particularly says proud or humble. Um, does anybody else have anything different? There's this little little thing. What, what else does yours guys say?
2: Things to avoid.
1: Things to avoid. Okay. That's good.
3: Warning against worldliness.
1: Warning against worldliness. Interesting. Drawing close to God. Drawing close to God. How interesting. So like so many different. So, so his, he opens the question just like I think last week, right? He asks this question. Which we kind of like joked was, is it sarcastic? Is it like a, a genuine consideration? Well, here he is again asking a question. What is the source of wars and fights among you?
2: That doesn't sound like a sarcastic question.
1: No, it does not. It does not sound like a sarcastic one. So he he's, he's, seems to be asking a question that is based out of like uh, a current event, if you will. Like, like He's basically heard from whatever town he's writing this in that the disciples in whatever town he's writing to um, you know, are arguing with each other, or there's some kind of disagreements, or they're arguing, they're fighting, they you know, whatever that is. And he's and he's kind of like writing to them, What is the source of wars and fights among you? And then he says, Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? So, I was doing some, some, some study this week, um, on um, words and some of the commentaries in the background, too. And I just want to kind of pull. Uh, pull up a couple of them and just kind of read off a couple things for you so so for example he's saying he's saying the don't they come from the pleasures right so what is the source of the wars and the fights among you don't they come from the passions is what mine says that wages war within you and the word there is is actually in the old words it's lust so it's like lusts which literally means pleasures Um, which is like a desire, something that you seek the self at the cost of your neighbor, right? So he's basically giving you the reason. He's saying, what is it that causes you to fight with each other, to war with each other? Doesn't it come from the things that you think are so important that you want it at the cost of someone else? Like he starts it off right out, like right out of the gate, like just with a nice punch right there, like in the, you know. So like, my first thought, and I want to get your guys' thoughts, is my first thought was, I don't feel like, do we see a lot of that? I don't know, like, like what does that mean to, to fight and to wage war? Are we fighting and waging war with, our, with each other? Or is he talking on a larger church scale? Like, because he then talks about murder. He talks about murder and he talks about, like, coveting. And I don't know that he means literally murdering someone. Right. Like, I don't think he's saying like, wow, Christian, you just killed another Christian being a Christian person because you didn't get what you wanted. But again, as I was studying a little further, it was kind of saying like there are other passages of Scripture that say you coveted something so much that it affected your action so much that it was it, it almost it basically was like symbolically you were you were doing the same thing. And Jesus talks like that. Right. He says in adultery, he says, you say that a man commits adultery when he sleeps with another woman. I say you've already done it if you look at her lustfully. And so what, I think what he's kind of alluding here is, is like you, you are coveting so much, you want things so much at the cost of your neighbor that they might as well be dead because, and you just took their property like as pillage. Like that's kind of what it's saying here. And I think that's a very, like it was just kind of hitting me like, wow, I don't feel like I covet Things like that, but Tad, you and I were having a conversation on on a Friday evening at the around the fire where we were talking about comparison to other people and wanting things. How far is that line? You know, I mean, he could be talking about you know homes, jobs. He could be talking about amount of money, or he could be talking about like like even like like relationships and all sorts of things. It could be anything, but where is the line from from you know, I admire that. That seems like a good thing or a good life. To crossing over into unhealthy spaces where it becomes the cost of a neighbor. Let's talk about that a little bit. Like, where is that line? How do you distinguish that?
2: You know, the first thing that comes into my mind with all of this language of it is, you see something that you want, you desire it, you lust after it. Right. You know, it looks good to your eyes, and and you just want to grab and take. This is really taking me back to the very first sin where Eve saw the fruit. It was desirable. It looked good to the eyes. Yep. And so this is, this is the, the original problem we're, 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 we're still dealing with.
1: Yep. Yeah, okay. That's good. So, so that's acknowledging the problem. But I mean, does desire for something automatically equate sin? So, like, there's, like, a threshold in there somewhere, right? So, like, what's the trigger point or the threshold that kind of...
2: God said, don't eat the fruit.
1: Okay, that's very black and white, but I like your shirt. You know, I'd like to have a shirt like that. Is that wrong?
4: I think when it starts to, to take over your mindset and it starts to take over... When, when it crosses the line of just being like, oh, I like something that you have. Oh, maybe one day I'll get it. To now you're obsessing over it. Now it's, mm-hmm. oh, I can't believe that they have it and I can't have it. Why can't I have it? And then it turns into, well, because I don't have money because I need a better job. And then it starts to get you in a, in a spiral of of not being content. And now, you know, admiring what someone has or admiring something, you know, about them is fine. But when it, when it starts to shift your mindset and... And you're no longer content with what you have or what God's given you, then I think it starts to to shift and that's where it starts. The desire becomes an evil desire, a negative desire, instead of something that's healthy and fruitful for you. I was going to say it's
0: something similar to where I think like it, it's okay until that thing that you want starts to, you as a person then start to feel like I'm no longer good enough until I have that So once you start to feel like you are less of what you are, unless you have that, I think that's when it starts to become bad.
1: So the first time he says it, he says, don't they come from your passions, right? So he's asking this question, where is the fighting among you? Where is the war coming from? Why are you like in disagreement? And we're not quite sure what exactly the arguments were you know, whatever it says. And that's where he says the word passions. Don't they come from your passions, which we said was these like lusts, right? But then he uses a different word in verse two. You desire and do not have. You murder, covet, cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. So that word desire there is a different word than the first one. And it literally means to set your mind on something. So that's kind of what we're talking about. Yeah. So Yeah, that's a good point. Um, do you think he's talking about all desires or do you think he's talking about like ones that are causing problems? Like, I think that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like he asked a question at the beginning, which I think frames a context. So it seems like he's saying there are these, whatever is happening is causing um, arguments, it's causing disagreements and it's breaking unity within the family. And he's saying like, and why is that happening? It's because you value what you want over the people who are around you. So, like, from that perspective, do you think that that uh, does what you're saying? Is is he talking about like like noble gains, or is he talking about at the expense of other people, or anybody?
5: Yeah, I mean, Jerry, you mentioned earlier that this is, you know, the chapters were added later on, right? He didn't wrote chapters; he wrote letter. Right. So um, going back to what we you know, we covered already on the first three chapters, or what we call chapters. And I'm trying to see like what's what's the common thread through all of those chapters we're at so far. And what Jay's been talking about basically is, and I don't know, we covered a lot of this already, right? But like, how you lead a Christian life and how this is different from a worldly life. And what are there some things you kind of have to tackle or do differently and every day, it's like in this chapter like if you go to verse uh if you talk about the devil he will flee away from you mm-hmm. it is still the same point being repeated right so if you do those things you open yourself to the devil and you're following the teaching of the devil if you are to turn yourself to god Draw near to him, you wouldn't be living this way. So, I don't think it's even a matter of a degree or a kind of desire. It's like you look at your brother and he has this with that. You're looking, Oh, I'm so happy for it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. You got a great job. Praise the Lord. I love your house. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. You know, Oh, I like your jacket. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. He gave you that. And, um, that's a very different mindset that we as a christian have not ought to have nor can have we do have because we have the holy spirit in us we have the uh we have the power of the holy spirit that dwells in us right so this is not something well if i really try hard i can be that way no we just can't we just can't do that just like that because it it's not through our own works, it's not because of our own nature. Our nature is dead, it's, it's gone, it's been crucified, right? Mm-hmm. So now it's the Christ living in us. We can do that, we can be like that. And through this, that's going to set us separate from the world. And being separate from the world, well, that's how people didn't tell you, Christian. Mm-hmm. Not because you strive for that, because they would just see you doing this. And instead of being envious, they would praise the Lord for that. You're like, what's wrong with you? Don't you want to have it? Well, I like it, but I'm happy that she has it.
1: Right. I I think that that's true, but I also think that it's very black and white, because I was black and white. <laughs> sure. But the Bible's also about that there is a war raging inside of us between the sinful nature and our and our spiritual nature. So you know, and Paul himself admitted to the very thing where he said, "Why do I do the things that I don't want to do?" So like it's you know it. There is a recognition and an acknowledgement that there is that that there are these two these two, which is what james is really about right we're talking about james it's really talking about the allegiances between the one of the two and the opportunities to choose one or the other. but I actually am kind of I guess I want to go back to what you were really saying in the beginning is like I do think there are degrees to it I think that that there are places all throughout scripture where it indicates that desires of regular life are normal and healthy, so like you know Jesus talks about to his his disciples and he says like you know, like, what father would give his child who wants something and give him a good gift? Like, desire good gifts. Like, it's good to want things, like things, to enjoy things, to have preferences, right? So, I think he's saying that. Um, and so, like, from a very practical sense, not so much from, like, a—and I'm not saying that you're—I that you. I think what you're saying is true on, a, on the macro scale— what I'm trying to dig into maybe is more on a very practical scale of like as a person who does like things, all of us have preferences. We all have desires of things that we want or would enjoy to have. And so, yes, the end result, the end goal is always going to be like, you know, I, I, I'm happy that you have those things. But you see a commercial on TV or where you're walking in the mall or even just, you know, walking to work or whatever, and you'd happen to see something. That's really cool. I think I'd like that. Like, there's nothing wrong with asking the Lord for that thing or saying, God, that would be really cool to have this thing or that thing. The question of the practicality of it is, is like, where is it that it becomes a problem? You know, like, where is it that it becomes an issue? Because it might not be that I'm coveting someone else's property, it could be something in the window, or it could just be you know, like I'm struggling with my bills and I wish I had more money, which is also the same issue that's the root in the heart. So maybe it does start in the heart, but I want to have a discussion around like, where is it that it becomes these, this set your mind on, becomes lustful, becomes problematic. I guess
4: the way I think of that is like, is how I want this bringing me closer to God? Like, okay. And, like, so if I get that thing, or in the process of learning to get that thing, like, is that bringing me closer to God in my walk with God? Is that right. helping me support other Christians? Is that helping me live more like Jesus?
1: She's talking, like, your motivations, right? right. The underlying... Like,
4: or if, like, if how I'm wanting this, is it building up resentment toward God? Is it building up resentment toward other people? Is it pulling me further away or distracting me from my walk with God? Like, yeah. is my wanting of this thing... Giving me less time to read my Bible, like I don't think God would have us want, want something that takes us away from Him, right? Know? So, like, trying to like be yeah really self-aware, like how I'm
1: wanting something. Which I think goes back to what Tad was saying, right? So if you go further down in verse four, he says, like, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So he's painting this picture, again, of like the two sides. It's like you can, if you're going to live in the world and do these things and chase after those things, then what you're going to reap is all of these things, which he talks about in the last chapter, right? We see that in the fruits of the spirit versus the fruits of the, I don't know if there's not like a word for it, but fruits of the unspirit or whatever you'd call it, that that come just before in Galatians. It says all of these things, the sinful nature, produce these fruits, but the fruit of the spirit is instead these things, right? And that's kind of what he's saying here. It's like if you... I think, anyway, I would welcome opinions or welcome your thoughts here, even online. Like, if you are saying that I am God's child, I am His, I want to be like Christ, I'm striving to be like Him, then as you spend time with Him, He even says things like, draw near to God, right? So it like kind of paints these mirror images. Um, where is it down here? It says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. So it's kind of thing. if you do these things... You will receive this stuff from the Lord if you do these things, friendship with the world and all the things that the world does, which does include wanting things in windows and you know, like comparing yourself to other people, all those things, then you will receive the other, which is destruction and coveting and wars and fighting and raging and, and warring with each other. So I think you're absolutely right, both of you guys, in that, that he is painting this picture that it's like, it's not about the specific things of wanting a, a shirt or wanting a nice job. It's, that's not even the point of the question. The point is, who am I serving? And so to Josh, maybe even to your point. I think about it from that perspective it's you're right like it's not it's not wrong to have an ambition for something especially if God puts a desire in your heart for something to go after it and to to set your mind on something and to work hard because that's all really good but the question is the motivation behind it do i want something because i want to have a nicer house? Do I want something because I want the notoriety that comes with it? Do I want to get to a place where I have a life free of trouble or pain and I have security? Or is it to glorify God, as you were saying? Do I have a desire deep in my heart that says, you know what? Like, God put this desire in my heart to be an awesome computer programmer because I believe He wants me to write a program that's going to um, help crunch numbers to solve, uh, you know, a global warming, for example. Like that brings glory to God because you're using something that He's put in your heart. Whereas, you know what? I want to create that new killer app so that I can become a rich person and buy six houses in Maui. Like, there's a difference. Six houses in Maui. I know, not just one, six. In
0: one, place, One's <laughs> Out. <laughs> at the end, it's kind, of, out. Uh, <laughs> it's,
5: it's kind of kind of relevant at the end, where it's serving this or that mm-hmm. purpose, and there's a you know a game changer ad or just filling your pocket. At the end, I think you know I like Anne, what when you said earlier that um, it's how you're gonna put you in towards God or not towards God. Hmm. So we one more time coming back to the element of where's your loyalty, mm-hmm. and you know, and this chapter is like well. Again, it's very black and white. Is desire you towards world and world's wisdom and what the world tells you you should desire mm-hmm. or towards God? So, again, it's not so much of what you desire or like right. what are some good and bad things to desire. But right. Where's your loyalty?
1: That's right.
4: I don't think that in any way ambition is a bad thing. I think your motivation for ambition is a problem, and I think right. that how you achieve those goals and those ambitions is the problem so like it to me i really resonate with what annie is saying about the motivation and the heart of something and your pursuit of of um you know is this drawing me closer to god is it and sometimes it's not even i don't know maybe this is a a point of discussion too but i feel like it's not even a problem to sometimes be neutral in response to ambition and god as long as it is not negatively detracting from your relationship with god there are a million things in this world that I feel like God could be pretty neutral about. You know, like, does God truly care if I like pepperoni pizza versus this thing over here? Probably not. So it's like, I think that in my mindset.
1: Well, that's not about ambition, though, right? So.
4: Right. So Bad example. But I, but I don't know that God cares. If, okay. Let me say this correctly, because I understand, <laughs> I understand who's sitting in this room, and it could be a conversation that leads elsewhere. Do I believe that God cares about each and every tiny, teeny piece of my life? Yes. Of course I understand that. But do I think that God is concerning himself with with everything, no matter how small, when it comes to, I think, what I'm trying to say is that, see, <laughs> so now I feel intimidated about, it, about answering this question, so.
1: No, just give us your thoughts. That's all. <laughs>
4: Um, I think that as long in some cases as it's not, it is not detracting from my relationship with God, it is not negatively impacting my relationship with him, with the will that he has in my life, with the relationships that I'm having, I don't think that there is a problem with pursuing and, and dreaming and achieving. Um, I think if you're stepping on people on the way to get there, I think if you are squandering and silencing God's will in your life and it is detracting from your relationship with him, the time you are spending with him, that's when you need to check your heart, check your motivations. And that is where the, the boundary is for me. That it's like, I'm allowed to have dreams. I am, and I believe God put those dreams in my heart. Some dreams, again, check your heart. But I don't think the problem is having them. And mm-hmm. I don't think it, the problem is desiring things, and desiring success, and desiring you know, wealth. Do I think the problem is I want to be rich for the sake of being rich? I think the problem is that the motivation behind it, the reason behind it, the why behind it. I think that there are plenty of people who have worldly wealth and do wonderful, amazing things with it, like mm-hmm. you said. So for me the difference, the distinction, and like Heather said earlier, the the boundary that you're crossing is what's the importance of that thing? What's the motivation of that thing and why? And so in some cases, that's what I was trying to say about the neutrality. Of yeah. It. Is that, and I'll stop there before I talk. Well, about I think it
1: people. goes <laughs> back to, I mean, what does he say? He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So we sang that song in the beginning, friend of God, right? So it kind of paints his picture between the two. You can be one or the other. Cause he actually says that. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Now that's, I mean, kind of coming back to the allegiances, right? That's, that's the problem I think is how we view, like we are a very compartmentalized society, you know? So like, so, and, and, and I myself have fallen into this, but I'm really trying to allow the word of God to speak for itself and then transform me rather than me kind of impose on the Bible. But a lot of people who would call themselves Christians, and this is not, I'm not trying to judge people, I'm just saying an observation here, is that in, in, in westernized Christianity, what you see in the Bible is 100% totally all in Jesus, what he says, I do it. And like you're saying, uh, Tad, it's, it's an all or nothing. Like you, you don't try to be the, the, a follower of Christ. You are a child of Christ. You, you are not like I'm trying to be a new creation today. No, it says emphatically you are a new creation. Like there, it was a complete shift in mindset. But in, an, in westernized Christianity, we kind of want to live in both spaces you know, it's, it's this idea of how much of a friend of the world, how much can I be in the world and, and not be the friend of the world? It's like, it's not a, it's not a, I'm shunning. I mean, I grew up in a world, in a, in a church where it was very much you are to be completely separated. And I think there was an unhealthiness to it, don't get me wrong, because it completely removed me from, from people and I didn't understand the regular world And, and I was finding myself completely like irrelevant and couldn't even have conversations with people who weren't Christians or not yeah who people who were not Christians. But I think there's something to it to become, be a peculiar people as the Bible says to, to separate yourself from the world to your mind is driven by godly things, not the world. And then you just add on pieces, modules of Jesus in the back of your head, like, like from a, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I feel like even by myself, when I read the scripture, I'm asking myself, how much is too much? How much is enough? What does it mean to be a friend of God? How much, or a friend of the world? How much, how much is me liking shoes or having a nice job, wanting to go on vacation, you know, any number of things, how much of that means I am or am not a friend of the world? And that's not the right question. The question is actually several layers backwards, which is what does it mean to be a friend of God? which we talked about prior. Last one was the wisdom from above is, brings peace, right? It brings, brings unity, right? And it brings all those types of things. But then the wisdom of the world takes us in a whole different direction. So, like, I, I just more of an observation, I think. I think, like, so much of what we try to do as Christians today is not an all or nothing. We're trying to kind of, like, insert Christianity and integrate it into pieces of our faith rather than, letting, rather than letting the world be the pieces that we integrate into our faith as opposed to the opposite. Does that make sense at all what I'm trying to say? I and mean, we have to do that because we obviously live in a modern world, so it's not like we can't, you know...
4: Well, I do agree with the concept <laughs> of it's a very slippery slope, right? We talk about that a lot in, in Christianity, is that it's a slippery slope. It's like, okay... And that's why there is a very black and white theology out there that says don't go near it. If it's going to even be remotely something that's tempting to you, don't even go near it. And that's very opposite of, the, of modern westernized Christianity is that how close can I get, which is also wrong. That's also right. a very wrong and dangerous, harmful mentality to say how close can I get to that thing and understand that thing and even partially enjoy that thing. Before it can affect me negatively, before it can be something that affects my heart, my motivations, its sinful nature. And it's the, the concept of a slippery slope is something we talk about a lot, you know, because, no, this
2: is not the
1: Joe, it sounds like you wanted to say something? Yeah,
2: so, so, I, so I think I, I wanted to answer the question, what does it mean to be a friend of God in context of what we've been discussing? And I want to take us to the parable of the 11th Hour Worker. And so, so one of the things that means to be a friend of God is to be the person who starts work at the beginning of the day, works the twelve-hour shift, and is rejoicing for the people who only worked one hour and got the wage that they had earned, even though it's the same dollar amount as right. what I've worked. Because in right. that parable, the people who worked longer were resentful.
1: They're frustrated that they worked all day and right. got the same amount as the guy who worked an they, hour. They
2: were resentful. So, so. But the master was like, "Hey, you got what I promised you, right? You know, and 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 so I'm I'm reminded of that my mind is going to a sermon that I heard back in, in February, and and basically the premise of the sermon was, you know, suppose you've been praying and asking God for something for years and years and years and years, whether it be, you know, to get a job, to get married, get a ch- uh, get pregnant or whatever, you've had this desire, and we, and we see good examples of that in the Bible, like Hannah, right? Yeah. You know, be embarrassing herself, (laughs) you know, in front of God all the time, asking for a child, and then she gets Samuel. What if what if you've been asking God for this good thing for years and years and years, and it's it's out of a good good motivation, like it's not for from a selfish motivation. And then you see God give somebody else what you've asked for, and they obviously haven't been praying for years and years for it. Yeah. Do you celebrate what God gave mm-hmm. to that other person or do you resent that other person mm. do you do you say ah they didn't deserve it because they've only prayed for like 5 minutes yeah. or i've been praying for 5 years for this yeah you know, or are you like oh if god can give you th- your dream job god's going to give me the dream job that i've been praying for a decade for or spouse or child or, right. or whatever
1: Maybe not.
4: And that comes from some serious spiritual maturity too. To be able to look at somebody like in the context you're talking about with praying something your heart so deeply wants something so badly, even from a selfless place, you know, from a good, godly place. And seeing other people get the thing that you're asking and so deeply that you want. And to be it able to turn at that and say, man, I'm so yeah. happy for you. It's really it's hard. It's so hard. And that and takes and serious, like but spiritual maturity. But, but
2: it, yeah. it, and it, it takes intentionality. And, mm-hmm. and I will say this is something that I've needed to change for myself. Mm-hmm. There was a situation where I saw somebody else get exactly what I had desired. Right. And I had, I, I, I wanted to celebrate with that person, but I, I, I just I couldn't.
1: So do you think that maybe he's, so at the very beginning, right, he asked the question, what's causing the source of wars and fights among you? Do you think that maybe there's an element of this where he's, where it's like a situation like that? Maybe brother or sister A has been praying for a child. Let's take the child example. Been praying for a child for years and they they haven't, haven't just, aren't able to get pregnant, aren't able to get pregnant, praying, 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 praying. And then best friend B, yeah, is popping out babies like it's rabbits. Just, you know, lots of babies, right? Is it possible that that frustration turns inward, becomes coveting, becomes... And, they, and then it creates division among friends or brothers, I, sisters, you know? I will,
0: I will talk firsthand from
1: this. Cause okay. Because Carrie and
0: I have had several like several years, you know, trying to right. Ellie, and that's not going to happen. And so when there have been our friends that have gotten pregnant, we tended to... We didn't want to celebrate their victories. We didn't want to be like, hey, congratulations. We didn't want to do that because it was... Constantly a reminder to right. us of what we didn't have, right? And so there was a very big and long process of mm. uh, that Carrie and I had to go through to where we say it's not fair that we resent them for a blessing that God gave them. Right. He still knows the desires of our hearts. He Carrie felt one hundred percent that we were called to have another child, and so she held true to that, even though I didn't. You know, <laughs> and so she probably resented me to a degree as well. You know, and so. I definitely will say that, you know, in here with that specific, if you would say that yeah. as an example, yeah, like that would definitely can cause division. Yeah. You know, and we so, to make a point as well, as I said, to not let it go that far, but definitely in here it could definitely... So
1: then, okay, so let's just pause for a second and say, okay, so let's ex- acknowledge that that it's possible, right? That this happens, that we know what should be. Because like, it's like you knew that. You're like, I really know that I shouldn't be resentful, but I don't know what to do with that, right? Like, I feel the way that I do. So this is kind of where I'm coming back to your point, Tads. Like, the practicality of it is, is the reality is, is that as a Christian who with the right heart behind it, is that it does exist. That there is the possibility of, I know what I should be doing, and yet it's really like, Like, it's hard for me. I so desperately want to have this baby. And maybe even more so, it's fueled by a desire or a promise that God put in your heart. For some of us, it's not. Sometimes it's just, I want something and I think it's okay. And I really want it for whatever reason. And you're praying and praying and praying, see somebody else get it. And you have that that dissonance between, I know how I should be as a Christian. And yet I'm struggling to get there. And that's existing here because it is creating problems. It does create breakages in relationships, which I think is what he's addressing. Is it enough? And this is not an indictment. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm asking, how do we, when we're faced in that space, get to where we're supposed to be? Because to me, and I'll be honest, it feels like a cop-out to just say, I'll just do it because I've tried and I fail. So how do we do that to get where we're supposed to be? Oh, right. Let's ask, let's yeah. hit, I mean, it's it was your thought. But
5: we have to unpack one thing here. So I, I love the example that The thing that you know, you said at the end is that Carrie Ke- was convinced this is the will of God for your family. Mm-hmm. She had the revelation or the recognition. So this is something completely else. Now you're fighting the enemy who's trying to rob you of your promise. Mm-hmm. You can promise a child, you know there's a child coming, it's not coming, it's an enemy you're standing against. So that's very different. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, let's yeah. take that out of it and say if it were not that, that way.
5: ...promise to you or the one that you know been called to and that this is something you want to sure. This is the enemy standing your way because this is wills of God right. that has been spoken in your life and you have been recognized, you have this revelation in your heart that this is something for you and you're not getting that. That's the, that's the frustration, right? But it's a spiritual position that's something completely else. Right. Now, we bring you back to what James was talking about here and he's like... I. I really like what you said like it's a very slippery slope because there is no good balance like you cannot say well this is good enough or it's not too far off so that way i'm still okay right at some point it's completely irrelevant like um things that we may desire especially in terms of like possession i mean i mean just look around everything you see in this house around the house all of this can perish Yep. It doesn't take much. A bit of.
1: Look like at California right now. Like yeah, The entire coast is burning, right?
5: And all of this could be just ashes, right? Or, you know, anything. So all of this is so irrelevant for relationship with God. And yes, He's giving us good things because He knows we need to eat. We need, we need to have a place to sleep and to walk in the community, right? So we need at least, you know, two sofas for that, right? But that's irrelevant for the relationship. And from that perspective, If you start focusing your mind, your heart, I would say, on that thing that is today but tomorrow can perish, Uh you immediately switch your attention from God to that thing. And that's when you really start struggling, and that's when you have all those things that James is talking about, because your heart is going to be led astray. Because now you lost your
1: father. Okay, so what does that practically look like? Because I think we're all in agreement around that we understand that focusing on the wrong things leads us away from the Lord. The moment you walk elsewhere, that's okay, so what does that mean, like, practically? So in your life, sounds like, I mean, we had this conversation that something comes pretty simply to you. you. You you, you, don't struggle with kind of comparison or whatever. What is it that you do in your personal life that helps you to say, or even when you recognize, you know, and I'm, I'm losing focus, do you... Do you, what does it look like and do, how do you get back to that? Like, how do you know you're losing focus on, on the Lord? Because, I mean, it doesn't mean you're standing in prayer 12 hours a day looking, but at the same time, you do have to go to work. You do have all these kinds of things. So, like, what does it practically look like for you and for us to recognize that we are lo- changing our focus from the Lord to things or circumstances or people or whatever? And then once we do recognize it, how do we train ourselves to go back to that? What does that practically look like?
5: So, so one thing, and then just you know, everybody can feel free to, to jump in on this. You know, I don't hold the answer. Uh, one thing I usually catch myself doing this because I see the symptoms that James are talking about. Yep. Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't see that. This is I'm losing focus, but now I can see because of how I feel, how I start thinking. Yeah. Okay. How I feel about others. So that's my clue.
1: That's that's really good.
5: And then I go back to the Lord and saying, "Okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this thing?" Okay. And, you know, this is something, it's like, oh, I really want to buy this thing. This is great. Well, mm-hmm. oh, let me find the best price on this thing. Or, oh, it's still too much. Okay, there's no way. I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? i just put it aside. Like, okay.
1: So that's where I think the rubber meets the road, right? Is that's a discipline, right? Which for people who maybe are new to spending time, you know, with the Lord in that respect or how are used to getting what they want or, you know, to... Even clearly hear the Lord say something and then choose to do it is still, I think, another list of processes, right? Of saying, like, it's not always as simple. And this is me speaking very much to myself because I like to get what I want and I don't like no for a reason. And I have that drive and ambition and which I like to think is, you know, like passion. If I want something, I will find a way to get it. My son is that way, which can be very unhealthy. Let's be honest. It's very unhealthy because you can step on things. You can make poor decisions, you know, which again, the Lord is going, Jared, you really don't need that, or I don't want that for you, or it's not the right thing for you. And I might hear that, but I convince myself otherwise, which is the process that we're all talking about, right? The process is not that I don't know what God is saying. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's like tuning the frequency because there's things in my life that are, that are kind of making it hard for me to, to like really discern the will of the Lord and sometimes my passions or my desires for something are so strong that it can either lead me to think that God is saying something that He's not, or I can willfully or even ignorantly like m- not quite hear God's voice. Which the answer to that is is what we've been talking about, and it's not a one-time fix. It's a daily like walking with the Lord. I want to give
5: you an example the was very open here, so I want to be open as well. The six months I didn't for a job. I was no job, no income. Six months, right? I mean, it's not five years in some cases, but six months is pretty
1: long. It's a long time to so not have, time.
5: have income. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I found the you know, dream job. I was like, oh, this one. Yeah, that's a good one. I met you the the criteria. Mm-hmm. Lord, please give me this job. It would be awesome, great place, great company. And he wouldn't give it to me, right? And then another one, another one. I'm not talking one or two. I'm talking many, okay? Right. And, you know, I've been going to the interviews and things are going well. I was like, oh, Lord, please, is this this one? I think it is. I'm saying this, do you hear it well? <laughs> and, you know, I, I'll give you one silly example because it's it's kind of relevant. So, I applied for a job with Disney. I went to the last stage and I was one of the two candidates that were selecting from. Okay? I didn't get a job. I was super frustrated with this. Mm-hmm. And then within two weeks, they started shutting Disney down because mm-hmm. of COVID. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I was, w- I was to work within the logistics of all the parks. I'm the first one to go. Right, because there's no logistics, it's there are like, no parks right now. <laughs> yeah. But we're like, I really want to go there, I, I want to yeah. work for Disney, right? So, and you know, long story short, I wouldn't be sitting here today yeah. if I got any of the other jobs I thought I wanted. You'd be in Orlando without yeah. a job, so, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> so right. So, it, it's a struggle in this sense, right? I'm right. not saying this is not, it really right. is a struggle, right? But every time I'm frustrated and I'm feeling those symptoms that James talking about, yep. I'm saying, Lord what do you want me to do? And he always tells. There is no, like, well, let me think about it. I'll come back to you next week. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, do this. Mm-hmm. They're like, drop it. Or they just, my favorite one is, wait. Yeah. That's my favorite one. i heard so many times, like, Lord, really? I just, wait. He won't yeah. say another word. He just right. told mm-hmm. you everything I need to know for now.
1: Wait. And so if I can kind of say, I think that what we're getting at here, and I think this has been a really good discussion, is that, is that it's not a it's not transactional. This is not like a transaction of should I buy that shirt or not, or should I get this job or not. It's it's who are we friends with, right? Allegiances, loyalty. Like, do I live my life to where where as I'm walking, it's like I've talked about it before. It's like radar or like sonar. Like there's an antenna. My Holy Spirit antenna is just always on, and as I face any circumstance. It's not so much that I'm going back and running a query going, God, is this for me or not? It's more of just like signal strength up and down in a sense of like, this is something that the Lord has for me or this is something the Lord is saying, stay away from. And sometimes, like you said, it's not very strong. Whether I should get pepperoni or mushroom pizza, it's probably just going to be flatlined because that's not really the kind of thing we're talking about. But it's more about how often am I spending time with the Lord? How often am I reading his word? Do I even know what the symptoms are that you're mentioning? Like do, like if he keeps referencing, Tad's over here referencing, I know the symptoms, but how does he know what they are? Because he reads the word over and over again to know that the symptoms of, of you know, living a life that is, that is connect, disconnected from God and is more connected in the world is coveting, is violence, is frustration, is a lack of peace, it's division, it's greed, it's whatever all those kinds of things are. But you don't know that if you're never in the Word. How do I know that I'm on the right track? The fruits of the Spirit. But do I know what the fruits of the Spirit are? The only way to know the fruits of the Spirit are to spend time with the Lord, to read in His Word that tells you those types of things. Which kind of goes back to, I think, the overall point here is, again, is who are we and how do we live our lives? Are we, is the focus, and I think that's why he says a friend of the world, it's not to be a friend of the world because you live in the world. We all live here. A friend of the world is who do you choose to spend the most of your time with? Who are your allegiances towards? Where do you get your values from? Where do your priorities come from? You know, and again, it's not a problem to have a job or even to have a really good job or even have a really good paycheck. The issue is more along the lines of what's your source Where do you get your answers from? Where do you get your your passions from? Where do you get your um, direction from? Where do your values come from? Like, all of those spaces. I think, to me, that's what it means to be a friend of God and a friend of the world. And so, he's talking about these arguments, which, I mean, all the way back to the very beginning of James 4 now, he's basically saying, like, you're arguing with each other, and it may be physical arguments, Or it might be things that are warring on the inside that aren't even manifesting outwardly yet. It could be I have strife against my brother or my sister because they have something I don't have or they're a better speaker than I am or they're happily married and I'm single or it could be any number of things and it's doing something in our hearts that is destroying relationships before we even say a word to our friends or to our neighbors. And so I want to kind of just wrap up. We don't have a lot of time to really be able to discuss the rest of it but think about from that perspective then how he kind of closes off like his instructions, right? Submit to God. Instead of submitting to the world, resist the devil. So re- resist the devil and all of his, his behaviors, and he will flee from you. So when you're tempted, to, you have to recognize those things. And when you see them coming and tempting you, you have to resist them. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. Verse 8 here. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. He promises... That if you are hungry for him, that he will, and I'm reminded of um, in, in the Old Testament, I can't, in my brain, Joe will probably give it to me, where he promises that if you repent and you, you, you turn to the Lord, he will heal the land, right? So this idea right here, he's like, he's saying, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. He promises, but he says there's a responsibility. Clean your hands, sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, which goes back to James 1 right? Your allegiance is double-minded. You can't be two people at the same time. You can either be God's friend or you can be the world's friend. And then he goes to this interesting space of like he's talking about repenting. Let yourself feel the misery in the mourning and weeping of the sin in your life. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. I was reading this. I was like, what a weird thing to say to somebody. And he's talking about once you recognize that you are a sinner, that you have allowed yourself to become a friend of the world, allow that to sink in. Like weep over that because you're supposed to be a child of God is what he's saying. So he says, instead, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. He'll lift you up. And then he kind of comes back to the very beginning, the warring, the raging, the fighting with each other. So don't criticize one another. Don't criticize anyone who defames, which is like publicly, or who judges, it could be internally right? Judges a fellow believer, does the same thing to the law, defames and judges the law. In other words, I think what he's kind of saying here is if your heart is judging people, if you're coveting all those things we talked about, you're essentially essentially like putting mud all over God's wisdom, which is what we kind of learned in, in four. You're like tarnishing that. If you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one Like in other words, I think I know better than God is essentially. If I live my life in a way to where I call myself a Christian and yet I still exhibit all the symptoms of the world, I think I know better than God does. There is only one lawgiver and one judge who is able to save and destroy. So who are you to judge your neighbor?
2: So because I don't want to disappoint Leviticus 26. Bam! (laughs) You've been waiting. I have, I have.
1: So to kind of cap off and recap all this, I think, again, I mean, James is such a practical book. Like, it's so practical, but it, my gosh, it's not just about, like, like, the little things that you do. It really cuts way down, ultimately, into, like we were saying, into this depth of, like, who are we? Who are we? Are we... Are we people who are one hundred percent allied with God, aligned with Him? Yeah, we make we make mistakes, we mess up, but we but we are not pretending as though we are as though we are His children and don't really ever even consider what He might have for us. You know, like all of the the the, the divisions, all of the arguments, all the frustrations, and then even in our own personal lives, all of the the discontentment that we see and um, the lack of peace, the lack of unity, all of those things find root in where we're getting our source and action from. I'm not saying that, I'm not saying in any way, any stretch that, that like, that even if we are aligning ourselves with God, that bad things aren't going to happen. Like, we know that that happens. And there's a number of reasons. It could be just the world is doing things, but it also could be spiritual attacks. There's a number of, reasons for why things don't go right. But what I am saying is, is that the word promises that if you are aligning yourself with the wisdom of God, spending time with him, humbling yourself before the Lord, he will exalt you, you know, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. We know that when we're in the presence of God, that his favor comes along that he he will protect us he goes before us we know that he is working all things together for those who are called according to his purpose so if we're following in his purpose we know that what he's doing is ordered of him right the opposite is also true so we know that like who are we friends with where do we where do we plant our flag if you will like where is it that we say is home base and 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 allowing that to be the thing that informs everything that we do.
2: The cross and the empty tomb.
1: I mean, I have thought about that for a really long time. I was like, why do people wear cross necklaces? Like, what's the point of that? Like, it, you know, and really the reason for it is because it is literally the centrality of what we believe. Like, the cross is, is it. it. It crucifies everything that we are, right? The dead, the, like you said, the old self has been crucified with Christ and we've been raised again with him. Now, obviously, that's very black and white. And we do know that there is the old self that's kind of like we're dragging around. The Bible actually says we drag it around like, like with chains around our ankles. We drag our old selves with us and we kind of like. Dead. Hmm? Wait, it's dead. Right, it's dead, and yet we kind of like still have conversations with it, you know? It's like, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I've heard the, I've heard the analogy of a uh, of prison cell. Like, Jesus unlocked the cell, right? Go free! And we just sit in it sometimes, you know, or we like, we choose to like keep it on our deed. Like we want to like go back and visit the cell, you know, and that's the imagery that we see. The imagery is like, it's a dead man that's following us around. We're dragging it along or it's this like cell prison cell that we continually sit in. If you think of it from that perspective, like what happens in dead prison cells? Things rot. They smell. That's the symptoms of the, of the behaviors. Like when I am not spending time with the Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm crabby. I, I snap at those I love. I'm tempted to, uh, to take cut corners at work, you know. Um, you know, I, I don't make good decisions. All of those things are the smelly, rotting nastiness that comes from the dead, hanging around with the dead life, if you will, you know. So, and I, I feel like I'm just, like, talking in circles here.
3: If I can share something, because, like, for me, like, the standards that James is mentioning, they're really high and difficult. Right he's kind, kind of repeating this thunders and what, what Jesus was teaching, right? But, um, like, and, and I ask myself, okay, so wh- wh- why the church should bother, like, you know, why? Why should we, like, try to meet all of this criteria? Hmm. And, and I, uh, of course, one thing is that this is how God created us, and we want to be back uh, to, and restore what, what has been destroyed, and we want to be uh, in the fullness of what he created us, but I also realized like in, in uh, conversations and the letters that in Hebrews, it says, you know, you argue, you do all those things. You think about where do you even realize that you will judge angels? Hmm. This is what Hebrews is saying. So, so we, we are, uh, we will be put in a position where, uh, of authority that is higher than spiritual be- be- be beings that, God created. So, so I think this is such a again. If you focus on, on, on that and on the, you know, or arguments, but when you realize what is a task ahead of you, mm-hmm. then you cl- clearly start to understand. Okay, that's why all those standards are so high because the job is so and so so big, mm-hmm. and uh, the the reward and the and the task wi- wi- we are made for.
2: I think
1: it's a good, I had this image while we were, while you were saying that. It's like, like discovering, um, an old, uh, an old relic that's been buried for a long time, like an archeology, you know, the idea of like, it's not made not a perfect metaphor. It's kind of what's coming of It's like, is this idea of like what we're doing, like you said, is we are, we are chipping away at all of the old self, all the, you know, like, so if you were to find a dead body and then it has didn't come back to life. You dig it up and there's still all sorts of stuff all over it. And now you're kind of like washing it off, cleaning it off to restore it to its original intent. And that's what we are as Christians. That's what the Bible kind of paints this picture of. Is like you said, it's not that you're, I mean, we are becoming like Christ, but only in the sense of like that it's a daily work of being sanctified. But what's underneath the spirit is completed. It's been, it's finished. It's a finished work. Like he doesn't have more stuff to add to us. And so the daily process of us is chipping off the sin, chipping off the old habits, chipping off all of those things and leaving them behind because what you're doing is discovering something that was always there all along. And so I think that's an excellent point of it too is it's not striving to become something because you already are it. It's really taking away all the things that are blocking it or hindering it or are distorting it so that you can see it. Which is a very different way to think about things. The older man. The what?
3: The older man. Yes,
1: the older man. Absolutely.
3: Uh, 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 yeah. alter. 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 Versus in there. Other. Elder. 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 I don't
1: know.
2: Outer. space. Outer man. Got you. Okay. Sorry.
1: <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's close here and pray, uh, and just uh, and then we'll go into our prayer time today. God, we thank you for your word. Um, man, really good, lively conversation today, uh, it matters, this stuff, it matters. And sometimes it can be, speaking for myself, maybe others you know, in the room feel the same way, it can be challenging to talk about something that is so high, so high standards, the bar is so high, because it feels like, well, what do I do with this information? Like, what do I, how can I like leave here? and do this in my life, to become like that. And I, I think the conversation today was really great. I thank you for it, God. I thank you that you are speaking to us. I thank you that you are challenging us. I thank you for the voices in the room. I thank you for the voices online that are asking the right questions, that are thinking through what does it mean to follow you. God, I pray that for each one of us, no matter where we are, in our walk with you, some of us who have walked with you for many, many, many years, and for some of us who maybe have, are new to this or are, are wondering about things or considering different aspects of wonder whether or not it's real or not, whatever, wherever we are, I pray that your spirit would take today's conversation and would confirm in us that you are working, that you are alive and that you uh, are, are calling us to something greater, something deeper I thank you for your words. I thank you for what you're doing. And so we ask that as we leave here, that this would still ring in our ears like a bell that has been rung a long time ago and we're still hearing it, you know, kind of like, like calling us uh, to you. It's still ringing that throughout the week we would think about who we are. Where do we get our, our information from? Where do we get our, our values from? How do we know if something is right for us or isn't? Like, Where do those motivations come from? God, draw us to you. Let your signal be so strong that we're drawn to it and that we would spend time with you. God, call us to your word. Call us to worship. Call us to um, like a, a deeper place with you so that we would um, really be challenged and grow and be friends of God. And I pray that you would give us the strength to reject the friendship with the world. Show us what that means in each of our lives. I thank you for what you're doing here and for this conversation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to encountergiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you
2: next week.